It was several years ago, uh, back when I was doing youth ministry, and I remember it very well because uh, this teenager was struggling. He was having a hard time in his young life. And uh, the purpose of my meeting was to encourage him to lift his spirits, to remind him of some of the truths of this book, and that was my goal. So we sat down together at a table, we chit-chatted a little bit, and as I listened to him share about things that he was struggling with and sins that he had partaken in, he just... You know when you see a person kind of just, the life gets drained out of them? The more he talked, the sadder he got. And the more despondent he became. Oh Lord, what do I say? So, I'm not going to use his real name, but... I said, John, what, you know, you, you and I can sit here and talk and, and you know that as your youth minister, I, I love you and, and I'm praying for you, but I got a question for you. I, I mean, if you could sit, and we were in a you know, little restaurant, you know which one. Uh, <laughs> I said, if you, if you could pull up a chair, and there was a table next to us, I said, two chairs right there. I said, if you could pull up a chair and have a conversation with God, what do you think he would say? He, he thought for a minute. He looked at me. Tears in his eyes from a young man who didn't cry. And he said, I think he would say, I am so disappointed in you. And that was not the answer <laughs> that I was hoping for. But it struck me that day, as I left, as we left our meeting, that there were a lot of teenagers who verbalized, who, who felt what that young man verbalized that day. And it broke my heart, really did, to think, knowing what God has done in this book, that the enemy has still worked in that way to penetrate their minds and their hearts with a very twisted view of their father. And it occurred to me since, as I often think of that story, that there are often people in the pews. Oh, oh, they're dressed up. Oh, they can chit-chat. They can, they can do the, the, the niceties. Oh, their family looks real good. They can sing the songs. And they will bow their head in reverence. They will partake of the Lord's Supper. But, 
But in their heart of hearts, they think because of things they've done, because of sins they've committed, that if God could come down and sit right next to them, he would say, I'm so disappointed in you. And if you're sitting here in the pew this morning and and that resonates with you, or you're watching online, and and the reason you're watching online is because you, you have that feeling towards God, I hope today's message will encourage you. Because I... This morning is what I would have told that young man if I'd had just a little bit of time. But I I have the moment with you. We're in a series called When God Showed Up. Last week we said that God showed up for one purpose and that was to draw closer. He, He gradually through the pages of scripture moved closer and closer to us. To be with us, God with us, Emmanuel. And so today we're going to talk about why he did that. And and the Gospel of Luke tells us. So if you are following along in your Bible, I hope that you'll turn to the book of Luke. If you don't know where the book of Luke is, turn to page 1099 on the Pew Bible. Page 1099, where is Luke chapter 2? Verse 6, and while they were there, the time came for her, this is Mary, to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. Now, I don't know how many of you have children. You remember the moment when you had your first child, your firstborn, the one that made you a mother or made you a father? Uh, for me, it was January 24, 2005. Now, I, I can remember that moment very clearly, holding my son. And, and she wrapped him in swaddling cloths, which is something they still do today. And they have this special way with newborns of, of just wrapping. I still remember taking newborn Tyler and these nurses who handle thousands of babies every day. She laid him down and she went, and it was like that child was not moving. (laughs) He was wrapped so tightly and swaddled, and here is her firstborn son, the promised one. She's been carrying for nine months, and here he is wrapped in swaddling cloths, and they laid him in a, a very unusual place for a baby. If you remember your firstborn, now the rest of your children are not like this, but with the firstborn, you take extra care. I mean, with Tyler, we sterilized everything. We wiped down everything. We boiled the bottles. We, we did all of the sterilization of the things. If something fell, if something dropped, it was instantly removed. We had to keep it pure and had to keep our child untainted from all of the germs. And, well, you quickly learn that's impossible. But Joseph and Mary didn't do that. They didn't seem to have those concerns because they placed, according to the scripture, maybe it's wrong, maybe, maybe your translation says something different than mine, but it says they laid him in a, that can't be right, a manger? 
That seems like an awfully strange place. Maybe you're not a farm kid or you don't know exactly what that entails. Let's talk about that. It says, because there was no place for them in the inn. And you might have a footnote. Some say a, the guest room. There's a little bit of debate. Was, was Jesus placed in the stable or not? Or is he like sort of in the Bethlehem Airbnb of the day? You know, and well, okay, let's keep moving. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch with their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear, and the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I will bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you, this is our key text, verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying, there's that word again, in a, in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel, a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, among whom are those whom with he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, and the Lord, which the Lord has made known to us. Verse 16. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby, there it is again, lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at the shepherd, at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. First of all, as we dive a little bit into this text... Just a basic observation that you need to know if you're not a farm kid. You need to know that a manger is messy. Now, whether or not you realize that, I have a a manger here. This is a manger. It's not really a manger, but this is an example of what a manger is. Now, this is... Never been fully used, okay? It's a model manger. Yeah, our own Luke Campbell crafted this some years ago. And uh, its basic purpose is to hold the food for the animals, to hold the straw and things like that. The problem is, is that you don't really get the picture of what a manger looks like, and more, more specifically, what a manger smells like. <laughs> because if you didn't know it, mangers are... Messy, because animals are messy eaters. And they get a whole bunch of stuff in the manger as they are eating and next to the manger. It's not typically where you would place your newborn. When we brought home our first child, we just barely had got the crib together. I remember that. Tyler was a couple of weeks early, and so we had just got the crib together. But I kind of imagine if, I, if we hadn't got the crib together, 
Would I have just looked for any place to lay my son? Oh, yeah, here's the cat litter box. Let me just pull it over here and lay it in there. That, that's kind of the equivalent, right? That, that's, even if you had washed it out, it's still like, that's gross, Levering. You don't put your new, you, you don't put your newborn there, goodness. Yeah, if you, if you have a crying child, you know, we have a nursery and things like that for, for them. And, and, and if, if you, if you took your child back there, would you, would you, would you hand it to the sweet people running the nursery and they say, oh, we're just going to lay it right here in this manger? You, you wouldn't do that. In the book of Proverbs chapter 14, there's a description of a manger. It's kind of an interesting proverb. Care to look it up? Proverbs 14.4 says, Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. So this is a manger where there are no oxen. We have no oxen here at Northside. We haven't started that ministry quite yet. But th- So this manger is clean. That was not the kind of manger that Jesus was laid into. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox, which means if you want oxen, you're going to have a messy manger. You're going to have one. I mean, it's just gonna, things are going to get messy. Things are going to get a little stinky. Things are going to get, you know, you don't, you don't go into the oxen business to have clean mangers, okay? The idea that the, that the manger is messy. It's gross. It's disgusting. And certainly the last place I could think in the world that I'd want to place my newborn son. Go back to to Luke chapter 2. Look at verse 11. What does it say? For unto you is born in this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Now, the first thing is we got this idea of Savior and Lord. And Luke and John are the only two places that use those two terms, Savior and Lord. Lots of people love Jesus the Savior. But there's not as many folks who want Jesus as Lord. Does that make sense? They want him as Savior, not so much as Lord. People love the baby Jesus. If he could just stay right here, he's so harmless. He doesn't intrude with our lives. He just loves us as we are, and he doesn't ask us to change or repent or do any of that stuff. He's just cute and cuddly. We're just going to lay him right here. But, but we need to understand the story of the incarnation is not about leaving baby Jesus right here. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in, a, in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Think about how much Jesus humbled himself. The almighty, infinite God wrapped in swaddling cloths. Philippians 2 says that he humbled himself. That is a great understatement. When the almighty, omnipresent, all-powerful, all-knowing God not only came into flesh, but humbled himself to being a babe, that would be wrapped in swaddling cloths, entrusted to a young couple who didn't know what they were doing, and laid in a stinky, smelly, disgusting manger. And yet in this manger is also something important, a message, a message for you and I. This pure baby 
You, you, you know, the, the infant, the, the, the babe, once you get them wiped down and they're clean and they're, and they're just there, they're with you in that moment, they're skin to skin and they're just that new human smell, right? Just their hair is so soft and they're, it's just so precious. And the pureness and the innocence of a newborn child laid into a disgusting manger is a wonderful symbol of who Jesus is, pure and sinless and innocent, laid into a filthy, disgusting, rotten, sin-filled world. He wasn't just born. He was wrapped. He was laid. He was placed into a place with the animals. Hey, your parents ever say to you, I know sometimes we, we let the doors stay open so all the cold air comes inside, and instantly I go back to, you know, something that my grandmother used to say, we let the doors open and the cold air was coming in. It was like, were you born in a barn? <laughs> Jesus was the only person who could answer that. Yes, my child. Yes, yes. He, he was that picture of how Jesus came into the world reminds us of who he is and what he came to do. I don't know how many of you have been to family camp and you go out to the the, the activity of riding horses and they they have this kind of neat time when you go, they instruct you what's going to happen and you go into the barn and then, then then you're sort of overwhelmed with what I would call manger smell. It's gross. It smells like animals. That was the world Jesus stepped into. The Holy Son of God coming to our filthy, disgusting, sin-filled, rotten world. There's a message here in the manger if we pay attention. If we keep reading, verse 13, And suddenly there was an angel and a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And the angels went away from them into heaven. The shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing which has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And when they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph with the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. Why the angels? Well, angels, the word angelos simply means servant. Angels is kind of an interesting study. But, but in this moment, the angels had been sent to send a message. And why is the proclamation? Why, why this big, this big ornate, this, this entourage of angels? Because it was a big deal. The world that he entered into barely noticed when Jesus, but all of heaven stopped. And took note that the Lamb had entered the world as a babe. Why the haste? Why why the haste of leaving their sheep and going to the manger? Well, because there's the Messiah there in the manger. You see, he came to our messy world and was placed in a disgusting manger. To save messy people. 
Maybe that's why they call him the Messiah. Why did the Savior come to earth? The song asks. Why did my Savior come to earth and to the humble go? Luke chapter 2 verse 11 tells us, For unto you, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Why did he do that? Why did the Messiah come into the mess and specifically to the messy manger? He laid all his glory down. It says right there in verse 11, for unto you. He did that for you. He laid down heaven's glory and came into an earthly mess for you. You need to know that he laid down his glory the exalted Son of God becoming a lowly Son of Man in a manger for you. For you. He did that for you. The innocent Son would go on to live a perfect life and yet die a criminal's death in a public, humiliating, shameful way Oh, you thought the manger was messy. Just let, wait until I tell you about the cross. He did that for you. If I could sit down with that young man again and pull a chair right up to him and just say, He did that for you. You think he's disappointed? Oh, he, is, he hates sin. He, it breaks his heart. But what did he do in response to that? He didn't send his son to condemn you, to to judge, to, to destroy you. He certainly could have done all of those things. He sent him to save you. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Not just you guys, all of you guys. Romans chapter 8. Verses 31 and 32. We're going to study this more in depth tonight in our Sunday night study, but we just get a taste of it here. Romans eight thirty one and 32 says this. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up, but gave him up by laying him down. He gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? He who did not spare his own son. Listen. I love you. With my heart as your preacher, I love you. I pray. I pray that my words can convey to you the love that God has for you. As I look into your eyes, I love you, but hear me now. 
There is not a person in here for whom I would give my own son. I'm sorry, but, but if it was, a, it, was, it was a devastating terminal disease and my son had the only answer and, and, and his sacrifice would require his death, I couldn't do it and I love you. But my love for you is human love. God's love is a billion times that. He who did not Spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. And you think that God's disappointed in you? You think that God's waiting, just waiting for you to mess up? Look what he gave up for you. If he did that for you... That should fill you with hope. That should fill you with joy. That should remind you that you matter. That you have great value, infinite value, eternal value in God's eyes. I have for you, no, sorry, I misspoke. I have in my hand a $100 bill. Now people are paying attention in the sermon. A $100 bill. Does the value of this change? No, it does not. What if I tear a tiny corner of it? Oh, it's less than perfect. What if I crumble it up? What if I put it on the ground and really stomp it in good? Would you still would you still take that home? Do you understand why? Because the value of it never changed based on what happened to it. Maybe you enter worship today with a few tears from sin, with a few wrinkles from times when you've messed up. Maybe you've been ground into the ground by Satan himself. I want you to know that God still sees the value in you. That's why he sent his son. He did that for you. I hope you underline those words in verse 11. For unto you. There were people whose lives are so valuable and they're covered with sin and stained with disgustingness. But God still sent his son for you. So many of you are thinking right now, please ask for a volunteer. Please ask for a volunteer. No, sorry. That's where the illustration ends. Jesus was on a mission from God. The Messiah in the manger, in the messy manger, was sent to save you. Now, so many people know John 3, 16. I don't want you to go to verse 17, because verse 17 is important too. John chapter 3, verse 17. John chapter 3, verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to 
condemn the world. But in order that the world might be saved through him. A thrill of hope. A weary world rejoices. In this time of season, it's easy to feel a little weary, to feel a little worn out, to feel a little weary. And the message of the Messiah in the messiness of the manger is that a weary world can again rejoice. Jesus the Christ is proof that God is for you. That God wants to save you. He wants to know you. He wants to have you home in eternity. But you have to want that too. God won't force that on you. He won't force anyone into heaven. How could a loving God send anyone to hell? My response to that is, look at what he's done to keep you out of hell. Look at all he's done. Come to the disgusting manger and rejoice at what God has done for you. Oh, will people go to hell? Yes, they will. Not because of God's will. (laughs) No, heaven is for people who say, thy will be done. Hell is for people... To whom God says, I will be done. Christ came into the world. It was when God showed up. Now he showed up once. This story is well known. But you know scripture says that he promises to show up again. We're going to talk about that too. My question for you this morning is. Will you be ready when he shows up again? He came once to bear the sins of many, but he's going to appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting on him. Are you ready for his appearance? He came once this way, and no one noticed. The next time he comes, everyone is going to know. And in that moment, will you be ready? Will you be filled with great fear? Oh, Lord, I have waited. It's too late. Or you'd be filled with joy. Ah, at last. He's back at last. Just as he said. If you're not ready for that day, I want to invite you today to respond to what Jesus, not the baby Jesus, but what the Lord Jesus said, to believe and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. You can, you can be reborn. <laughs> I love that. You can be born again. Jesus said you have to be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. You can do that. By repenting of your sin, believing that he is the Christ, and being buried with him in the waters of baptism. The waters are ready. Ah, but the question is not the readiness of the water. The question is, are you ready? If you are, this morning as we're going to sing this next song, stand, go to the back, talk to one of our shepherds, and they will help you. If you have that or any need, please come now. Now you can stand and head to the back if you have a spiritual need. Let's sing together.